Well, hello there. Um, I feel like I actually am addressing human beings now. I know of uh, at least one person who has listened to these podcasts, so I wonder if that's going to change the dynamic. Um, But, uh, I mean, there's also plenty of people on uh, the SoundCloud website that like various episodes of the podcast, but um, they're always female and... I just assume it's like a Russian bot, you know, f- porn phishing type of scam. So it never occurred to me that uh, any of them were real humans. So if you are a real human, I apologize. And um, so it's been a while since I uh, recorded a podcast that I actually then went ahead and uploaded. I had a few false starts, uh, uninspired rants. Um, I got back from a little trip to Austin, Texas, um, the other day. I re- I took my wife out there. She's one of the few people probably, um, on the planet that's uh, a diehard track and field fan. She watches track and field, uh, you know, on YouTube and she's familiar with all the pros and college and, um, every level of track and field. And uh, I thought it would be an interesting gift, uh, something she'd be excited about to take her to the NCAA finals in Austin. And uh, we did that. And it was like a four-day event. It was hotter than hell. But it was just awesome to see just how happy she was. I mean, it's just a reminder that when you do something that's not for yourself at all, um, it's just turns out to be a great experience for you in the end. Um, you know, I, I had a good time and I, I enjoy track and field as well, but uh, not nearly as much. I certainly wouldn't have driven to Austin, Texas in 98 degree heat to, uh, to watch four days of a track meet. But, uh, it was, uh, it was great just to see my wife that happy, but it was also interesting Uh, In a couple other ways, I think if there's a a theme that I'm going to grope for during this episode, it's going to have something to do with um, my tendency to judge others. And um, maybe it's a flip side or, you know, uh, opposite side of the coin or whatever, uh, my tendency to take myself uh, too seriously. This all started um, before I went on the, the trip to Austin. I went to an, a local open mic with a friend of mine, and it was really fascinating. I'd never never been to an open mic quite like this. There's a backing band um, of local musicians, and you can go and sign up, and essentially you could just sing and have this band back you up. They just you know look stuff up uh, up on um, the internet for the lyrics, and they're you know, they're good musicians, so they if it's a song that they're vaguely familiar with, they can just jump right in and look at the chords or whatever, and you can sing there and get this experience as if you're, you know, in a band. And they also, you know, you could go solo or go up with your own uh, person if you want to do a duet or any combination thereof. They even let people, you know, play their drum kit, you know, with the other people in the band. So it's, it, it's pretty interesting. It definitely had a... Uh, 
karaoke-esque vibe to it. And right there, um, the way that I was raised is just, um, all, you know, to always have this reflexive judgment. And uh, my dad, um, who was an amazing dad, so I'm not disparaging him here, uh, he was the, the kind of guy that, you know, if you were out in public somewhere and he would see someone, the catchphrase was always, look at this asshole. And it was it sort of set me up from an early age to be on the lookout for, you know, asshole behavior. And I think it gave at least my brother and I this general misanthropic vibe where we just sort of look for uh, flaws in, um, in people. And there's this, there's this knee-jerk judgment when it comes to just about everything. And of course that was directed at myself and us too growing up. You're always kind of on the lookout to be to be judged or ripped on. And so yeah, that part of me just immediately came out when I'm watching this uh this open mic. And, you know, of course some of the people were were terrible, you know, just objectively as far as their singing and everything. But um you can I guess react to that in different ways. And again, my reflexive reaction is, you know, oh my God, look at this guy or um, look at this woman. What are they trying to do here? Do they actually think they can sing and da, 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 da. And, um, but what struck me was the rest of the crowd did not have that um, tendency at all. And I think it, maybe this was a regular crowd that goes to this open mic and there's a sense of community there. Um, but they were so incredibly accepting. It didn't matter if it was somebody that got up there and had, you know, great musical chops or great voice or a six-year-old kid who was trying to belt something out or reading lyrics off his iPhone or somebody that just got up there and was just god-awful singing out of tune. And um, the crowd was, its they seemed genuinely enthusiastic no matter what uh, what happened there. And that, that general vibe just sort of, uh, first of all, it exposed my, um, my own internal sense of judgment. And then it, it, I sort of got pulled into the, the vibe of the crowd and, and it was, it was endearing. That's I, I wanted to be more like them and that's not my usual, uh, tendency. So, um, so that was sort of part one of that experience. I realized that you know, these people, a lot of them, you know, aren't taking themselves so seriously. They're just going up there and having a good time. And regardless of what I thought of the song choice or what was up there, I mean, if you just change your your frame, it's like, you know, you can have a good time. And just, just watching people get up there and, and having fun and just being in a room like that or a patio in this case and having fun together. So... It was just an experience I wasn't expecting uh, to enjoy, and then it just made me become more aware of uh, a part of myself that um, crops up a lot. When I did go to Austin to this track meet, um, it came out a little bit again. Um, We were sitting, we had great seats. I mean, I figure if you're going to go to a track meet, you know, you might as well go all out. So I got seats right at the start finish line, you know, you're just literally, you could just reach out and and high five the athletes, you know, 
So it was the best seats in this entire stadium um, in Austin. And because it was like sort of the the primo section to sit, there was a lot of people that were relatives of athletes. You know, an athlete's mom and dad might be in there, sister, friends, and various family members. And it was an, an interesting mix of people that, again, I mean, I'm I'm not the 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 greatest people person. I, I don't get out that much. And, you know, you're in there, you're all sort of sweating together. And um, you're just in this public space with a bunch of people that are very different from you. I mean, there's like these two old Southern dudes that um, were sitting in front of me rooting for Texas Tech who ended up winning the uh, the men's meet. And there were a lot of African-American uh, family members and some track fans. And you just, uh, it was a four-day event, so you're there, you know, three, four hours each evening. And um, eventually you just kind of get to know the people around you. And and there's just this, this banter and this sense of... Um, Again, like if I had known some details about these people, like their politics or different beliefs they might have, I could see myself immediately going into judgmental mode and distancing myself from these people. But instead, you know, those things never came up. It was just all about suffering in the heat together and enjoying the track meet and finding out whose kid was running in, you know, in each race. And it was this great sense of... uh, just shared humanity that I think I often um, prevent myself from enjoying because I have this this orientation, this sort of look at this asshole orientation, and immediately trying to pick out uh, flaws in people. And so that that was just something that was um, kind of on my mind uh, over the last several days. Even when we drove back, we came back. And it's like a nine-hour drive from Austin to southern New Mexico. And uh, we just had a bunch of This American Life uh, podcast episodes um, piled up, and we just listened to a bunch of them. And there's something about that show, and in particular I'm thinking um, there's an episode, it must be an episode from recent months, um, but I believe it was a re- sort of a re-air of uh, something that was maybe from, you know, 10, 20 years ago. It had to do with uh, just recording people over a 24-hour period at this diner in Chicago. I think it was called the Golden Apple, maybe. Um, I could be wrong about that. But the idea was, you know, bring the recording crew in, you know, 5 in the morning at the Golden Apple Diner in Chicago. Just start talking to people who were there. And just stay there 24 hours and just get a sense of who, who goes to this this 24-hour diner. And it, it was interesting. Um, all types of people, obviously. Just the working class people that came in the morning that might have been, uh, you know, they were talking to somebody who worked on the construction of the Sears Tower and different retirees that, you know, their entire, you know, social life was just kind of going to this diner and chit-chatting with the waitresses in the morning. Um, just And just random, you know, people's stories. Uh, and again, these are all people that, I'm, you know, you're getting a sense of who they are. And 
people that I wouldn't associate myself with normally. And of course, you know, I'm just obviously just listening to, um, the, uh, the podcast that, that wasn't me farting, by the way, that was my chair squeaking. I want to make that clear. I would never pass gas on this podcast. There are also dogs barking in the background, but, um, anyway, it was, uh, it was really just interesting, I guess, given my frame of mind there, um, listening to, and again, people that I would normally judge. I mean, there was, you know, there was some simple working class folks. There was also toward the, the nighttime hours, there was a young people that would go to this diner and they'd be trashed and, uh, a couple of drunk girls, you know, talking. And again, um, the immediate thing would be like, look at, look at these assholes, these drunk morons. But because of the frame of mind I was in, I just was really in tune to, uh, the shared humanity. And, uh, it was nice. I, I hope that this, uh, can be somewhat of an enduring lesson for me. Um, because I tend, I mean, as an introvert, I mean, I tend to isolate myself from people in general, but one of the, the things that keeps me disconnected from people is this knee jerk judgmental response to, do everything, you know, I'll, I'll hear someone say something political or, you know, give an opinion on world events. And usually I'm just thinking this person's a moron, you know what I mean? Um, and that's, uh, they might be morons or the point of view might be something I, I disagree with, but there's just a fundamental different, um, different vibe when you're, always tuning into the, to the shared humanity and, uh, attempting to just enjoy, uh, the community with people wherever you, wherever you happen to be. And so that's something I hope I'm going to, uh, carry with me. I went uh, back again last night to this open mic and, um, my same friend decided to, um, get up there and, and play some music and everything went great. He was awesome. And, uh, it was a similar uh, experience, uh, just a variety of people getting up there and just doing their thing. And uh, again, it was just a nice sense of, of shared humanity and community there that uh, I think I would do well to open myself up to given some of my own shortcomings. I, I don't know if I, I would play at this open mic. This is uh, something I'm always discussing in my own mind. I don't seem to have much of a drive to perform. I don't really like to be the center of attention. I'm not driven to get up there and be cheered um, or have people tell me that I'm good or that sort of thing. Um, having been in a band for eight years, I got some of that maybe out of my system. But I, if I'm really honest with myself, uh, some of that, that judgmental that judgmental voice I've internalized, you know, I will, that will keep me from doing something. I'll, I'll tell myself I'm just not good enough or, you know, why would anyone want to hear me do X, Y, and Z? You know, I haven't been playing very much and only if, you know, I'm, you know, I absolutely a hundred percent sure that it's going to be awesome. Would I ever want to, you know, do something uh, and share it with somebody else. Obviously this podcast excluded because it, it seems like I'll just record anything and just throw it up there, but maybe there's something just safe about the, the anonymity and 
being sort of immune to the feedback, but we'll see. Um, I do have a, a new toy. I can't even remember now if I talked about this. It's been so long since I, I did a podcast, but I got a new mixer slash recorder, the Zoom Live Track L12, and a bunch of other cables and little toys. And I am definitely not lacking in equipment. I've got every microphone, every every piece of equipment I could want to make some good musical recordings. I've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of song ideas I could develop. And uh, now it's just a matter of getting in there and do it. There's, I did spend, you know, a couple weeks learning how to use the, the new toys and really getting into some of the nuances of recording and microphone placement and all that. And then it just became, you know, I was just doing that as an excuse not to get in there and, and record. So I'm hoping to get in there. Um, and uh, make some things happen here in the next couple days, and I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, took a little pause here to collect my thoughts, and um, on a, a, another musical note, I've got a, a new musical crush. Her name is Madison Cunningham. I um, actually don't know that much about her as far as her bio. I think she's from Southern California or L.A., and she's real young, like, 21 or so and uh i was turned on to her through joey ryan who's one of the milk carton kids and that acoustic duo which is a group i really like and he did a a cover duet with this madison cunningham person it was a, a roy orbison slash everly brothers um song love hurts and I was immediately struck by something about about this woman, the way that she she plays live, her voice, her her guitar playing. There was something about her that I was intrigued by. And then I promptly just watched, you know, everything on YouTube that I could find. And apparently she does a weekly cover series where she um plays a cover, sometimes solo and sometimes with someone else. And um I just for whatever reason, I'm I'm totally mesmerized by by this woman. I'll play you a little uh, little piece of of this love hurts just to give you a sense of what drew me to it. Love hurts, love scars, love wounds and mars. Not tough nor strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud, holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Love hurts. I'm in this. One of the things that that really struck me about this recording is, um, I don't know, something about what she's doing is getting at the heart of what I want to do musically. Um, She is playing live and uh, either with someone else or by herself. And she's, of course, I was looking at, you know, what microphone is she using? And I'm I'm really interested in this sort of home recording thing. And I got to recognize that I know that she's, 
playing like with amazing instruments and absolute top of the line condenser microphones and has everything probably going into some sort of mixer and a professional producer is doing everything else on the back end there. Um, but it's still, there's something about just a person with an acoustic guitar or two people with two acoustic guitars and some microphones and just playing it live. If you can get, capture that sound, there's something about the spirit of that that is so superior to me than what you can do by spending, you know, a boatload of money in a studio. Um, a podcast that I've been listening to this summer, it's called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. The Mountain Goats, for those of you who don't know, is um, headed by this guy, John Darneal, and he lives in Durham, North Carolina, which is where um, I worked and I lived nearby there for about eight years. And he was a real staple for uh, Merge Records. It's a big record label in the Triangle. And so I was very much aware of him. And he he started out as one of these lo-fi guys that he, he would just take a, uh, I believe it was a Panasonic boombox, a cassette boombox that had a microphone on it. And he would just play his guitar and sing into it at the same time, just, and that was his albums. And that's how he got, you know, huge. And uh, the first season of the podcast, he was... Uh, they were going song by song through one of his classic lo-fi records. And I was really digging it. And then this season on that podcast, they're going through his latest album. And there's just, you know, obviously this is years and years ago, and now he can totally afford to work with the best musicians and play in great studios. And But I'm, I'm listening to the finished product, and, and part of the the uh, gimmick of the podcast is they're going to take you from the demo to the finished product. And of course the assumption is, you know, by the time you get to the finished product, you're, you're amazed at how, how awesome and polished it is. But I find myself liking just the rough demos that he's doing, you know, while he's got his kid on his lap and he's playing the piano and you can hear all the noise in the background. And then I'll hear the finished version and it just, it's so much more sterile and he's into it, so, you know, I mean, to each his own. But uh, I just find there's something about tracking all those tracks to a click track and layering things that obviously it can be done well and people, that's uh, someone's, uh, many people's creative process. And I'm going to experiment with some of that myself because I don't want to just, um, you know, throw that out uh right off the bat because I think that um you know I should try that at least especially with my new equipment but there's something about I don't think it's it doesn't have to be lo-fi and sound like shit it's just the spirit of playing it right then live that I'm uh that I'm super into so here's a here's another example from uh Madison Cunningham one of these duets uh, she's playing with a friend of hers, and she's uh, she just happened to do In My Life by the Beatles, which is a song that I'm learning. And again, this is just, you know, two people, two acoustic guitars, a couple microphones, but there's just something about that live vibe that I think, you know, you could try to do this in a studio and pay thousands and thousands of dollars, and you're just not going to be able to beat this for 
not only just for the sound of it, but mostly for the vibe. All right, say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Here we go. One, two, three. it helps um to have like an amazing voice and be a great guitar player um but yeah i still think you know most of it for my money is uh the vibe i mean that that microphone is key I, i believe she's using the blue it's a blue microphone the company blue i think it's the blue spark and that there are some condenser mics out uh, these days that are amazing. The Mel Carton kids use um, a certain type of uh, a certain type of condenser mic that I think is incredible. Um, my phone is vibrating in my pocket now, and no, I'm not going to edit this out. It's probably my wife trying to get hold of me. Um, I'll just let her leave another message she's probably just telling me that she's on her way home um yeah so i mean i am i'm doing this podcast into a a condenser mic right now i think it's the at 2020 this is just like your hundred dollar condenser mic and i have a a better one the at 4040 that my wife got me years and years ago as a birthday present and that mic has like shorted out and i had to like take it apart and like splice wires back together but it seems to be working now and it's good but it's just nowhere near as good as these other mics now i don't want to be seduced into this thinking like i need to now spend like 800 dollars on the same microphone that madison cunningham is using and then my recordings are going to be just as good because that's ludicrous but i'm gonna i'm gonna do the best with what i have but um yeah there's i'm definitely interested in learning uh, what to do with the stuff I have to the best of my ability and using the equipment right. And so I have spent literally, you know, days upon days of trying to figure out microphone placement and how to use this new recording setup I have. Um, all right, I'm going to probably sign off here in a second, check the voicemail from my wife and, uh, get on with my evening here. Um, Tomorrow I plan on doing some musical recording, so we'll see if I attach it to this podcast or just uh, do another one. It's the summer. I've got the summer off, and I'll, I'll play you out here with an, one final Madison Cunningham cover. And uh, I'd never heard this song. It's a, 
uh, Gillian Welch, Gillian Welch. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm familiar with her, but uh, I don't really know her tunes. And there's a, this song was, I believe, written a while ago, maybe like 2004-ish. It's called Everything is Free. I had never heard this before. Um, and I did some research on it, listened to the original, and and apparently this song was written in the Napster era when um, musicians were getting that feeling like, wow, you know, we put out this music and then it just, there's this new thing called the internet and, uh, and this, people are just going to steal our music and we're going to be robbed of our livelihood and um, then it be, you know it's become an expectation that everybody should get everything for free and still even all these years later I guess it's uh, been 15 or so years since this song it seems very timely I'm not going to play the whole thing but if you haven't heard this song before it's it's an incredibly good tune I immediately learned it and uh, maybe I'll play my own cover version of it soon but uh, check it out and I will catch you uh, next time. Everything is free now. That's what they say Everything I ever done Gotta give it away Someone hit the big score And figured it out That we're gonna do doesn't pay